0: Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia.
1: Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We
0: hope you enjoy today's message.
1: Good morning. Again, for those of you visiting, uh, I didn't introduce myself before, but my name's Chad and I have the privilege of being part of the leadership team here Uh, here at Bayside it's great to have you with us we thank you and appreciate that you've chosen to spend some time with us today and we hope that you believe it's been a good investment um, of your time I have the privilege today of teaching and preaching from the scriptures it is important value for us as a church family and uh, so if you have your bible uh, if you brought a bible why don't you grab it if not we do have the verses on the screen so you know that I'm not making everything up although you know there's always a little bit of that Always a little bit of that. I'm just going to read and do what I've done for the last two weeks in a row, and read the opening and the closing verses of a book called Hebrews, and uh, so I'll read that this week on in a version called the ESV. Chapter one, one Hebrews. Long ago, at many times and in many different ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days. He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom he also created the world. And we can see here the context is set very straight. The reason that we call this book Hebrews, that's just what editors have decided to call it over the years. Okay? It didn't actually come with that title. But because it says in our past, God spoke in the prophets. It's very obvious, and particularly as you keep reading it, this is written to people of the Hebrew ethnicity. Okay, people who basically whose history is tracked in the Hebrew Bible, what you and I mostly call the Old Testament. Uh, I prefer to call it the Hebrew Bible, but, um, or the Tanakh is the fancy term. I won't go into that today. But, um, but it's written to people who have that heritage. And this the writers here, because this is written by a team of people, this letter, the writers here are saying, in our past, God spoke to us in many ways, but in these last days, his very own son has spoken to us. Verse three, he, the son, is the radiance of, ...of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name that he's inherited is more excellent than theirs. More excellent. The Wayne's World version. Okay, so... Only some of you got that. I love this letter and I won't go into detail again like I have in previous weeks. But one of the reasons I love it is because Jesus is the absolute focus of this letter. It's very similar to Romans and that it's a long letter, very intelligent, very detailed um, and a very theological. Uh, but unlike the book of Romans, it's written, as I said, to a Jewish people a jewish audience so there's a lot of scripture in there and a lot of biblical concepts that come out specifically related to people who have a grounding in hebraic thought okay or in the old testament scripture and as i say one of the reasons i love it is because it talks about one of my favorite subjects thanks dave jesus okay do i have to spell that out um, it also talks about one of my favourite angles of the ministry of Jesus which is the covenant that he offered us by dying at the cross and the whole thing about the superiority of Jesus as you follow the theme through the whole book is how much superior what Jesus has offered us in a relationship to God is far superior than what we had in the, other, the rest of the book. Okay, What the God's people had for 1,400 years was good. It's better than having nothing, Okay, Uh, better than having no relationship with God at all. But what Jesus came to offer was vastly superior. He came to offer a superior covenant. Those things really, as you know, flick my switch so much so that's what I wrote a book about. And so as you continue to read through the book of Hebrews, it says, listen, we've had this great relationship with God, but Jesus has come and he's made it redundant. And he has replaced it. However... That relationship has not yet been removed from the planet. So he says in Hebrews 8, he said by making a new relationship, new covenant, he's made the old one obsolete and what is obsolete and what is ageing will soon disappear although it hasn't disappeared yet. So the, when the New Testament was being written, the Old Testament relationship with God and the New Testament relationship with God existed side by side together. God's, Jesus' relationship, Jesus' covenant, made that one redundant. Jesus' relationship replaced it, but yet that wasn't yet removed. It was still there. So people had the choice as to which covenant they could live in. And so the writer of the Hebrews is saying, now that you've come into Jesus' relationship with Jesus, don't go back there. And this is a motif through the whole Bible. Like Lot, when he left Sodom, don't go back. When Israel, when they left Egypt, they come into the promised land. They come into Jesus. Okay? A new relationship with God. Don't go back to what you had. In fact, it's fascinating. But the book of Revelation, chapter 8, most people believe, talks about the um, old covenant, Jerusalem. And it, it talks figuratively about this relationship with God being like Sodom and Egypt. Okay? So he's saying, listen, don't go back to Sodom, don't go back to Egypt, don't go back to that because you have been given something vastly superior. It is a great book to talk about. Once you've t- taken hold of Christ, don't let go of him because what you had before was useless, pathetic and weak and aging and he says it will soon disappear. Don't go back there. That is the context of this letter. It's a little bit like Paul when he brings up the issue of Ishmael and Isaac. In Galatians, okay, Abraham had two (coughs) sons. The first one was Ishmael, who he looked after for 14 years. Then Isaac was born, and this 14-year-old teased the little baby. And he says in Galatians, this Isaac is the one who will become the heir. And so in Genesis, he says, I want you to keep Isaac, but tell Ishmael your time has gone away with you. And he says this is what the Old and New Covenant was like. Fourteen centuries, God had a covenant relationship with people. Now that a new covenant has come, he says in Galatians, get rid of the slave woman and her son. But in the meantime, they existed side by side. That is kind of like this theme that goes through. And if I had my preference on teaching through the book of Hebrews, that is what I would teach. Because it would just flow out of me very, very simply. The first 12 chapters of Hebrews are an awesome treatise on the gospel. And if I had my way, the authors of Hebrews would have finished it at chapter 12. (laughs) When it says, my God is a consuming fire, so fix your eyes on Jesus. But they don't finish it there. They keep writing. And they write chapter 13. And chapter 13 deals with some real life issues. Because let's face it, I'm a bit of a coward. And while Jesus is real life issues and relationship with him is the thing that matters most and while my comfort zone in preaching is in this space, sometimes God brings the -the rubber-hits-the-road reality of real life, of how we live out our life on this planet and that's what chapter 13 about is about. It brings up some real life issues. And that's why I've called this mini-series Last But Not Least, where we're not looking at the first 12 chapters of Hebrews as much as I'd love to. We're looking at the last chapter and some big issues there. So I want to read. Uh, this is called Last But Not Least, a short series of big issues from Hebrews 13. La- the first week we looked at the issue of sex and marriage. I said sex just to get your attention in case some of you are switching off. We looked at the issue of... Sex and marriage and in verse, I think it's about four or five, something like that. So we discussed that. We talked about honouring marriage. And we did that, actually, not only because it's in the Bible, but in response to some prophetic dreams that people in our church were having. Three people, at least, all had dreams within a short, very, very short period of time about disrespecting marriage. And so I brought that word about honouring marriage. We talked about the way we honour marriage is that we keep it praiseworthy. Uh, we acknowledge that it is a praiseworthy thing. That we make it public, that we also keep it private, that we make it a priority and that we keep it pure. So we looked at those five things, you can get the recording, have a listen to that when we spoke about marriage. In the second week, last week, I looked at the issue of money, looked at the issue of finances. And while there are many things we could say about that, the point of verse 5 to 6 here regarding money is all about choosing contentment over compromise. Okay, that's the context of choosing contentment over compromise in regards to money. Well, today I want to look at another subject and I've uh, simply called this last but not least loving church. Loving church. Let's look at some real issues as we open up to Hebrews thirteen and verse one. I'm gonna read the whole passage, just because that's what you should do when you read the Bible. Let brotherly love continue. And be content with what you have, for he has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, hey, the Lord's my helper. I won't fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by food's, which have no benefit to those who were devoted to them. After all, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals, whose blood is brought to the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, are burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp, bearing the reproach that he endured, pulling away from that system And into the new. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through Christ, Him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good, to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. So let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to live and act honourably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. And this is where I hold the theory that this is Paul the Apostle, okay, moving away from the we, um, we are writing to you, we are saying to you, now is transitioning to the I. In fact, in one of his letters, he even takes the pen and says, See now what I'm do- writing with my own hand, how big the font has become, okay? <laughs> because he's taking the pen. I feel like that's what Paul's doing now. He's bringing the, changing from we to I. It's my theory. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. For those of you who've been here for three weeks, you've heard me read that whole passage three times in a row. I've done that intentionally. Uh, All scripture is God-breathed and it's good for us To As you read the Bible yourself, not to just read little snippets like a cookbook. Okay, You read whole passages of Scripture together and establish the context yourself. So I kind of wanted to intentionally set an example in that. But right now I want to change gear and look at this thing of loving church. Four things, four verses in this passage about what loving church looks like. Are you ready? Let's do it. Firstly, loving church looks... Like commitment, commitment to those who you know, to those you know. Verse 1 in that passage simply says this, Let brotherly love continue. This is one of those very short verses in the Bible. It's actually only three words in the scripture. Let brotherly love, one word, continue. How many of you can tell me what the word, the Greek word for brotherly love is? In the streets of Philadelphia. Okay, so the word here for brotherly love is actually the word Philadelphia. Let Philadelphia continue. Let brotherly love continue. The word in Philadelphia in, in uh, Romans 12.10 says this, it says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another. This is a type of love that is affectionate and a love that is committed it is the love of brothers, brothers and sisters. It's the love of family. It's a love that's an affectionate love. It's a love that is a devoted love. And many of you have heard preachers, oh, this is a big favourite subject for preachers, the different words for love. Okay? So eros is one of them. We get the word erotic from that. Okay? It's that passionate, uh, it's mostly sexual love, eros. And of course then we have agape, which is another kind of love, an unconditional love. This one is Philadelphia, phileo. It is uh, a brotherly affection and commitment, a devotion to one another. The word here for continue is also interesting because it means to abide, to remain, to endure and to stay. Translated all those different ways as you click on your Bible program and see, it means to endure, which basically suggests that this kind of love has to be guarded. This kind of love for one another has to be protected because there's going to be something out to challenge it. There's going to be something out to take it. You need to let yourself Guard, abide, stay, remain in this kind of love. It's making a conscious decision to keep on loving the brothers even when you're tested. You see, when we make a commitment to Christ as our big brother, Hebrews talks about him being our big brother. When we make a commitment to Christ as our big brother, we make a commitment to our little brothers as well. When we make a commitment to the Father, he plugs us into his Family. And so when we make a commitment to the Father, we are making a commitment to His family. And that devotion will be tested. And, and anyone who was game enough said, yes, amen, it's called Sunday. Right, okay. This year, um, we've seen a couple of high profile Christian leaders. Um, publicly renounce their commitment to Christ, more or less, Okay, whatever different words have been used. But um, one was a worship leader, one was a well-known author, particularly with young people, Okay, written to young people. And generally speaking, young Christians or young people are kind of shaken by that kind of thing, particularly when you look up to someone and they then renounce their commitment to Christ. And those of us who've been around a little bit longer, a few more grey hairs, a few little longer teeth, whatever that saying is, Uh, it doesn't kind of shock us anymore. Uh, It is something we've seen and while it's sad, it's also now shocking because we know this kind of thing sadly but still apparently tends to happen. And one of the things that I certainly have recognised is that in the vast majority of cases where those who wane or those who drift, those who slide, those who walk, away from their devotion to Christ, in the vast majority of cases, it begins by a waning, a walking, a sliding away from the body of Christ. An ultimate rejection of the person of Christ almost never begins just out and out. It begins with a rejection, a refusal, a drifting away from the body of Christ first. And it's very rare to hear anybody say, I love church. Church is amazing. Church people are fantastic. I love them. But Jesus, yeah, he upsets me. I just can't stand the guy. <laughs> Jesus, you know, church is amazing. They, they're so loving, they're so kind, they're so embracing. They make so much sense. Jesus just does my head in. Okay. You don't kind of see that happen. You know, I love, the body, I love the body of Christ. The person of Christ I can't stand. That doesn't tend to happen. What tends to happen is that I can't stand the body of Christ. There's something about the people. There's something about the processes. There's something about stuff that happens. And I somehow lose my love and commitment, devotion, a brotherly love for the body. And sometimes that can result in actually a turning away from the person. Many of you have seen People who, with all good intentions and with all good reason, have had experiences in church that have made them go, I just can't do it, but you know what? I'm fine. Just Jesus and me, it's going to be okay, and I'll start something in my home, or I've got my own friends, or I've got my own podcast, or I've got my own Facebook groups, or whatever it is. And some of you know some stories. This is not a formula. I'm just saying that on some cases, you see that friend who taken out of the ember of the fire is no longer burning for passion to Jesus like they once did. I'm not saying that always happens, but I am saying there is something that will um, attack, as it were. There is something that will challenge this brotherly love. And so the Hebrew author says, Let it continue. The fact he has to say that is an admission that love for the church, commitment to one another in brotherly love will continue be challenged so remain committed to the person of christ and he, which he said for 12 chapters don't let go of jesus and now he's saying now remain committed to the body of christ as well and one of our pillars here at this church we believe we, we describe ourselves as a family of friends we believe in generations we believe that with god who is our perfectly heavenly father We therefore, knowing who he is, esteem and encourage one another by placing priority on community, on care and committed covenantal relationships. We're in covenant with him and he has brought us into covenant with one another. What does loving church look like? It looks like being committed to those that you know. Amen. Secondly, Loving church looks like acceptance of those who you don't know. What does loving church look like? Well, it looks like committed to those in brotherly love, those who you know. And it looks like acceptance of those who you don't know. Verse 2 and 3, interesting verses here. Do not neglect, or just verse 2, sorry. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels... Unawares. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. So the word hospitality uh, is also a filio word. Okay, it's filio xeno with an X. Okay, so we get the word xenophobia. It's like the very opposite. And a xeno is a stranger. So when you hear the word xenophobia on TV, it's more likely strange people that we're afraid of. Okay? This word is the exact opposite. It's xenophileo, the well, other way around, phileo xeno. It's hospitality, accepting people that are strange. Accepting people that you don't know. Okay? We committed to one another in brotherly love because we know each other. You love your bros. And this is saying we also accept those who we do not know. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Well, that's an unusual concept, isn't it? Isn't that fascinating? Let me put some thought into that. Angels in the scripture and all through Hebrews, this particular word, uh, it can also be translated messenger. Okay, And it can mean a supernatural messenger or it could actually mean a human messenger. Okay, In the book of Hebrews, it pretty well always means supernatural messenger. But some people reserve the right here to say maybe it's just talking about a human messenger. We're not entirely sure. Some of you remember if you've ever done a study on the book of Revelation and it talks about the letters to the seven churches and it says to the angel in the church of da-da-da. You remember reading that? To the angel of the church. And you're like, what's he doing? Is he writing a letter to an angel, an invisible supernatural being or well, some people say, no, no, no. It's the messenger of that church. It's like the go-to person. It's the contact man. Okay, it's the face, of the guy, the main guy or girl or whatever. Okay, it's the messenger of the church. We don't know. The point is, angel might be a supernatural messenger. It might be a human messenger. We're not sure. He may be alluding. Remember, this book is written to people who understand the Old Testament. So he may be alluding to the stories in Genesis eighteen and nineteen, where Lot and Abraham entertain these two strange men that come to them and they end up being angels. Okay, The whole Sodom and Gomorrah thing is because these men, these angels, take Lot by the hand and say, get the heck out of here, boy, because something's about to go down. All right? So these are supernatural beings that appeared like humans. Now in the Christmas story, they don't seem to appear like humans. They're like in the sky singing, whoa, you know, all that angel stuff. But here it seems that they're appearing like men. They thought they were men, but then they, whoa, they actually ended up being supernatural beings. It's possible that's what he's talking about here. It's possible he's just talking about a human messenger. A little bit like the story of Rebecca when she's by a well one day and she's feeding her animals, okay? And a guy comes along and says, <clears throat> do you mind feeding, helping feed my animals? And she says, yes, I'd love to do that. And she serves him. And without knowing it, that man was a messenger who had asked God that day for a sign If I am welcomed by a woman that says this, I know that God has spoken to me. You just don't know. Maybe he's saying, don't forget as the Christian church entertain God's human messengers. Uh, You don't know what kind of stranger walks through the door, what they have asked God to confirm to them that day. You don't know today whether someone has come here today for the first time that's a stranger. You don't know if that person sitting here today that you don't know is actually came here today and said, I'm looking for a church to make my home. I'm looking to consider whether we are called to this area, whether God is on our case. Someone who might be the next great evangelist of this church home. Someone who might be the next pastor of this house. Someone who might be our next worship leader. Someone who might be, you just don't know. What if a messenger has come today through these doors a stranger and said, God's put on my heart, I'm looking for a place to call home. Like when what's his name went to the well and said, God, give us a sign. What if that person comes and our job is to welcome that stranger? You just don't know whether that person has come to have a very special message and ministry in this church. Who knows? Who knows? What's our job? Our job is just to welcome, to be accept those we don't know. They might be supernaturally angelic. They might just be a human that's bringing a strong message and has asked God that day for a sign. It could be you greeting them and welcoming them that opens up a whole new realm of possibility like Rebecca who served that man that day and she ended up marrying Isaac and Jesus comes from that lineage because she welcomed a stranger at the well and offered to serve him. Who knows? The point is this. Be committed to those you know. And accept those that you don't. Because you might be entertaining a special messenger and have no idea who that person is. Thirdly, what does loving church look like? Four points, just for the guides so that you know I'm almost there. Third point, the most awkward one for me to speak on. Respect for those who lead. Respect for those who lead. Verse 7. Hebrews 13 says this, Remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. I put those verses together because the writer here links imitating leaders with the fact that Jesus is the same. He's giving very practical advice. Handle your money well, be content, honour marriage, love people, remember your leaders. Jesus is the same! There's no, does he just need an advertisement, an advertising break in all this heavy information? No, no, there is a reason he's put that verse in there. You know, there's a reason he, there's some logical progression there. And it's quite possible that you know, one of the great qualities, if not the greatest qualities of a leader, is their consistency. Imitate their faith. We've read chapter 11 of Hebrews already by the time you get here, so you know that faith is about persevering with what God's told you to do. By faith, these people did this and this and this and this and this. They they persevered in what God had told them. They were consistent through the challenges. They were consistent through the seasons of life. They were consistent through the shifting seas. They were consistent. And Jesus, by the way, is consistent. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. So just like you have confidence in following Jesus as your great leader, why can you follow him? Because he's trustworthy. He's demonstrated himself to be consistent. He went to the cross when it. he didn't want to. In a sense, he endured it. When it got very difficult, he carried through His calling and his assignment. And he said, So also imitate the faith of your leaders, because why one of the top qualities and requirements of those who are called to lead is their consistency. And so when you read First Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, where it's got list of the requirements of leaders, it is assumed in there that these people are consistent in these areas. They're not just honest once, they're honest consistently. They don't just have respectful families. On Sundays, they are consistent with their respects for families. They're not just given to drunkenness you know, on Friday nights. No, they're, gi- they're not given to drunkenness consistently. Okay, there's, there's like this consistency that is really important to be leaders. It's one of the main attributes of a good leader. And so, keeping that in mind, when he then says in verse 17, this is how I want you to relate to them, consider their way of life. And then verse 17 says this Obey your leaders. Submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. So let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. How many of you feel like the words obey and submit, they're kind of harsh words, aren't they? They're kind of like, how often do you, They're pretty harsh. They sound harsh words to us. Obey and submit. And so what you do is you click on the Greek and you try to catch the heart of what could be written here. The word obey in the NIV actually says have confidence in. It means trust them, have confidence in them. It doesn't mean do what they say all the time. It just means have confidence in them. So that word can mean that. The word submit is also interesting. It means to surrender, to not be resistant. Not be resistant. It means to be, to be weak. Or another word we might say for weak is to be vulnerable. Have confidence in your leaders and be vulnerable with them. Same words, it just doesn't have quite a harsh sound to it does it so another translation the jubilee version says this listen to your pastors and do not resist them listen to them don't resist them i see here an instruction that says trust them enough to listen to them when they give you advice and trust them enough to be open and honest with them trust them enough to not resist them and trust them enough to listen to them and take seriously their words See, one of the things I've learned the last 17 years in leadership and parenting is exactly the same. Those of you who own businesses with staff, exactly the same. Leadership, you're not responsible for people, but you are responsible to them. Leaders are to keep watch. It says there, they keep watch over you. The word literally means to remain sleepless. As they watch over you. It's possibly an allusion to the end of Isaiah where it says, God's put watchmen over the walls of Jerusalem who will not sleep until Jerusalem becomes all that she is called to be. There's like this tireless duty knowing I see the potential in the city of God. I see the potential in people and I'm tirelessly wanting them to be at their best. I'm tirelessly wanting to see the potential come out. That's what it means to watch over their soul. The word for soul in the Greek is psyche, where we get psychology from. It's about health. I'm constantly watching over the health of this group of people that I want to see be at their potential. You see, leaders are not just people that are consistent. Leaders, good leaders are people that truly care. That truly care. They give watch. They are tirelessly overseeing, wanting the best of the flock that God has entrusted with them. To lead people, you need to care for them. And that's why sometimes leading people can be a drain. And it's not necessarily the physical responsibility, but it's the weight on the heart when you really care for someone. And so Paul in Galatians, you know, he says to them, when they're going into a different gospel and turning away from him and he's like his heart breaks for them and he says, my dear children, I am in the pains of childbirth for you. <laughs> well, the lady said, yeah, right, Paul. <laughs> Good one, mate. Um, I'm in the pains, he says, of childbirth because I want to see Christ formed in you. Not you in Christ, that's already been done. You're in Jesus already. He says to the Galatians, over and over again, you're in Jesus, that's done. But I'm in this pain because I want to see Christ come out of you. And I'm perplexed and bewildered that you'd be turning away from this high calling that you've started in. Why would you turn back? He says a similar thing to the Corinthians when he says, I'm a jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband. I promised you to Christ. And now I'm in turmoil thinking that your pure devotion to him might be Turned away like the serpent's cunning. I promise you as was a pure virgin to him and he yearns for them. It's like this is the guy that said, you know, shipwrecks, whipping my back, persecution from religious people, light and momentary. No worries, mate. But what caused him pain and what caused him anguish was seeing the people that he watched over their souls and seeing them not trust his words and seeing them turn their heart and be resistant toward him, that was such a burden for him. The responsibility of leadership is weighty, but it doesn't need to be a burden. And those of you who are parents know that. Because you've said to your kids, even when they're adults, why do you have to make this so hard for me? <laughs> now the responsibility of parenting is weighty. But it doesn't have to be a burden. You're making this harder than what it needs to be. It's the same thing in that pastoral heart, because after all, this is all in the context of family. I told you that after I preached on marriage a couple of weeks ago, I had to that I made an appointment with my counsellor. Okay, so I did that. Just want you to know. She said, "How hey, you been going?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I've had a couple of uh, yeah last few weeks. I had a couple of funerals. People who died well before their time. It's been a bit been a bit challenging." And uh, that's just something I have to do. And I said, but you know what? I actually find like I thrive in those situations. Like there's a weight when you're conducting a funeral for someone. But it doesn't burden me. It's weighty. It's serious. But I kind of find like I thrive in those situations because I know if someone's going through a crisis, I'm the guy to be there. I've got a steady hand. I actually... In a sense, enjoy. That's a terrible phrase. No, I don't. Take away enjoy. I thrive in those situations. I say it's other things that do my head in. It's not actually doing the funerals. It's other things that tend to do my head in. Why? We see Paul hear that same thing. There's no greater pain or burden than seeing someone who you, people that you love and care for whose hearts begin to move away from you. In the last month, I've spoken to two business people. One of them's here, one of them just in the community. And they told almost exactly the same story about taking a young employee, giving them an opportunity, pulling them out of a bad scene, lifting them up, seeing their life come back on track, earning money, having dignity, having respect, put risk into them, give them opportunity, invest confidence in them, and then watch them be beguiled by an outside opportunity where the grass is greener and come to them and say, please don't, trust me, this is not as good as it seems for you. And in both cases, to see them dismiss that advice and go out and the predictions just coming true of something just collapsing in a short period of time. And the pain of these business owners is not that they lost a good employee. The pain is that I actually care for that person And that person closed their heart to me when they could have and should have trusted me. This is what we see in Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Okay, how many of you know that? He's a heart guy. He's one of those heart guys, right? All the way through Jeremiah, he talks about the heart, the heart of God, his heart. His heart's breaking. He's a real heart guy. And yet he's not only the weeping prophet, he's also the I told you so prophet. Because one of the things as you read Jeremiah is he says, listen, this is going to happen unless you do this. And it happens exactly as he says. He warns them, no, 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 please don't do that because if you do that, this is going to happen. People don't listen, they go away. And so the same guy who is proved right, is the I told you so prophet, is also the same guy who's broken because he knows his advice is coming from a good-hearted place where he loves those people. And that burden for him was not a burden of these people, this city Jerusalem is making me look bad as their prophet. No, it's like I love these people and it breaks my heart when they do not obey and submit. No, when they do not have confidence in me and when they are resistant to me. That, Jeremiah says, it just broke his heart. And many of you, as business owners, many of you as parents, know what that's like. What's the point, Chad? The point is this Hebrews 13, when you have leaders that you know who's harder for you, that cares for you. Trust them. Show them the kind of respect that will listen to their advice. Take it seriously. And show them the kind of respect that keeps your heart vulnerable toward them. Respect. I hope the heart of that came out well. Four things. One last thing. What does a loving church look like according to Hebrews 13? Firstly, commitment to those you know, brotherly love. Secondly, acceptance to those who don't. Welcoming strangers. Thirdly, respect to those who lead. And lastly, empathy toward those in need. Verse 3 says this, Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Now listen, if you take this as an encouragement to get involved in prison ministry at Yatla, fine, go for it, that's all right. My job as a teacher is to say the original context of this is he's talking again about in a Christian church community, Jewish people who are being persecuted. He's talking specifically here about fellow Christian believers who have been imprisoned, fellow Christian believers who are being mistreated because they've gone from this system to this one. So that's the specific context here. Again, we're talking about empathy for those part of the church who are in need. Empathy is about the ability to understand the feelings of another person and to therefore treat them accordingly. To understand someone else's feelings, to treat them accordingly. Some of us are better at this than others simply because of our temperament, but it still is something that all of us, can grow in being kind to people, seeking to understand what they are going through. I like this translation. It says here, remember those because you also are in the body. In the body. Now listen, take whatever you want from this. As a Westerner, we tend to read that and some modern translations put it this way, where they say, listen, you remember people suffering because you yourself have a body. And you can imagine how hard it would be if you were suffering as well. But the Hebrew mindset, remember, is collective. It's a a collective thing. He's saying, remember those who are suffering because you are in the same body as them. You're in the body of Christ. So Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers with it. When one part of the body rejoices, the whole body rejoices with it. When you don't have to get your toes cut off, the rest of your body is pretty damn happy about it, all right, because that is one body part that had a great story and the rest of the body rallies and goes, yes, similarly if you've got one part of your body that's suffering, the whole rest of your body feels that pain With it, that's the idea. Remember those who are suffering. Empathise with them. Understand their feelings because you are part of the same body of people together. Empathy is saying we're in this together. You're not alone in this struggle. Empathy is about coming alongside and saying, I get it. We've got this. Empathy is about remembering those who are struggling. Sometimes it takes a calendar reminder on your phone. Malcolm does that a lot. Remembering a special anniversary of someone when a loved one died and putting it in your phone to go, I'm going to make sure that on that birthday or on that anniversary or during that week I'm going to make contact with them. It's remembering those who are suffering. Sometimes remembering is just that little gesture over coffee that's a tap on the shoulder that says, hey, I've been thinking about you this week. Sometimes empathy, in the case of a, a deceased person, for example, is going up to someone and saying, hey, I was thinking about so-and-so this week. They were amazing. Something, just some type of I understand making a statement, I'm standing alongside. Sometimes empathy is doing what many of you have kicked yourself over in the past. When you're at home doing the dishes, you're in the shower, you're in the car, and you feel the Holy Spirit remind you of someone, and you don't do anything about it, and you kick yourself that week when you hear that they were going through a hard time. Sometimes remembering someone is just being open to those whispers and going, I don't know what that person's going through, but I'm going to call them. And just call and say, listen, I was thinking about you, I don't know why, just want to let you know I love you. Remember those who are suffering and be empathetic. Sometimes it's coming alongside to help struggling family members and showing a true opportunity to demonstrate God's love. What does it mean to love church? Be committed to those you know. Be accepting of those you don't. Respect those who lead and be and demonstrate empathy toward those in need. And hopefully Dave's not the only one that notices the acronym there and can remember at least one of those this week. You say something quick and then I've got something to read out. I don't know.
0: Um, Just as I was talking about empathy, I was thinking about the the body and, and the church and I kept looking into his eyes and I'm allowed to do that. But, um, <laughs> but it just kept making me think, you know, when it comes to our eyes, when it comes to our minds, we often think about ourselves. okay? So I'm coming to church and I think about everything about – I think about myself, you know, that's quite often the way we, we go. Shall I get there early or shall I get there late? I don't really like talking to people, so I'm going to get there late, okay? That's thinking about yourself. But when it comes to our eyes – Our eyes don't focus inwards, they only focus outwards. And I just looked at Chad's eyes and I thought, that's really interesting, you know, we have to go stand in front of a mirror to see ourselves. God actually created us to not think about ourselves first all the time. He actually created us to look out and see the people in front of us and them. So the next time you think about yourself when it comes to community, just stop for a minute and go, What are my eyes seeing? It's just small, but I just felt it was significant.
1: Aye, aye. (laughs) I want to read two letters that are addressed to you as a church family today. Um, I won't say the surname just for the sake of the recording, but this is from Jessica and Emily, uh, thanking you for the way that you've rallied around their family uh, with the passing of Bronte two weeks ago who, by the way, is having her birthday. Sometime Bronte would be having her birthday. Um, I think it's November 26, 27. maybe a good date to remember. Letter from, I think this first one's from Jess. We've just gone through the hardest thing our family's ever experienced. The absence of our mum is obvious and painful, not just for us, but for everyone who had the privilege of calling mum a friend. There have been so many wonderful people who have supported her and our family from the very beginning, there are no words to say to you We've given your time, your food, kind words and comforting hugs to Dad, Emily and myself over the past year. The many hours and days that so many people spent beside mum in hospital was just overwhelming to see. Mum and I walked into this church building at the end of 2013 and instantly called it home. She loved it here. She had friends. She had an extended family. And in this last year, that family rallied together to support mum and us in so many ways. We weren't forgotten by not being present. Even in our absence from Sunday services this year, I felt more connected and more a part of Bayside than ever before. The 6th of November was a hard day, celebrating the life of our wonderful mum, but this is where our church family came out and put on such a beautiful farewell to her. We want to thank everyone who put aside their time, who helped cook food, set up, serve and pack up. We couldn't have done this without you. We are so blessed to call Bayside home. Thank you. Emily. This has been the toughest year of my life. I'm still coming to terms with everything that's happened. Sometimes I feel completely alone, but I know I wasn't. No matter what, there was always someone I could call. I've never truly experienced the church as being my family until this year. I haven't attended as much as I used to. Working away and having a lot on our plates has made it hard for me to be there, but I know I can call Bayside my family. My mum, Bronte, was a member of Bayside for about seven years. She passed away from cancer and it was what felt like a long battle. It was nowhere near as long as some. Members of the Bayside family, including Glenys, Malcolm, Trevor and Anne, And Chad, were there every step of the way. It's been so touching to see how much love of Christ is shared through you. So much selflessness and generosity was shown to me, my family, through you all. I want to thank each and every one of you who prayed, who sat with mum, who checked in with us, cooked for us, helped with the funeral day and more. It's been so overwhelming to see how much help we've had. Some of you I don't even actually know. I want to thank you specifically for stepping up and helping my family out of the kindness of your hearts. She finishes by saying church is important and not just to have somewhere to be on a Sunday morning. It is the lifeblood of the body of Christ. It's the family you can turn to in need. Unfortunately, some churches don't open their arms as wide as others, but I feel the Bayside is one who practices what they preach. Thank you, everyone. God bless Emily. I would encourage you today, last but not least, to love church. Be committed to those that you know, brotherly love, phileo. Be accepting of those that you don't. Respect those who lead and show empathy to those in need because of everything that God's ever said to us in the Old Testament. The greatest thing he said was to love God and then to love people. And then Jesus comes along and trumps even that command. And he says, I'm going to give you a new one. And the new one is this. You've seen how much I've loved you. Now I want you to love one another. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Because Jesus demonstrates these qualities to us before we would ever demonstrate them to anybody else. I believe there's two things God is wanting to whisper to us today like a coach. He's wanting to say, well done. And he's wanting to say, take note. Well done and take note. Two questions and then I'm done. Of these four things today, what is the thing that Holy Spirit wants to speak to you and say on that issue? Well done hey, well done. And on those four things, is there one that Holy Spirit wants to say to you, hey, take note. Hey, you were meant to hear that today. Don't miss it. Take note. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are our ever-present teacher. You make the written word living, active, sharper than a sword that penetrates our hearts, that divides, makes a dividing line where other things couldn't quite discern. We commit our hearts to a good, good Father today. We thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for leading us. And we thank you for sharing your love for your house, with us, your people. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed
0: today's message.
1: Remember to check us out at BaysideChurch.org.au, and of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.